about all the chances that the Atlanta Falcons had to win that game, Cassie, being up by 25 points in the fourth quarter. It was a four possession game. Really the only way to lose to the Patriots was to make bad decisions, right? And they, they made a ton of them with some bad play calling. So what is the worst play calling, aka decision making, picking the wrong club, that you've seen down the stretch of an important golf event? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably the most recent ones that come to mind are Dustin Johnson, the three putt at the 2015 U.S. Open to lose by one to Jordan. And I don't know, then there's 2010 by Justin Johnson. I feel bad bringing him up. 82 in the final round. Poor, poor, poor Dustin. <laughs> um, he did get some redemption last year. Thank goodness. But Adam Scott comes to mind at the Open Championship. Yep. He had that four shot lead with yep. the bogeys at the end. So those are really, you know, relevant relatively fresh in people's mind. But I think the biggest one, biggest collapse that comes to my mind is Greg Norman at the 96 Masters. Defaldo, he yeah. Had the, yeah, he had that six-shot lead on number 11 in the final round, finished with a 78, two double bogeys coming in. Uh, I re, Just re-watching those highlights, you, you always felt so bad for him. Yeah, it's tough. I thought about a few of them here. Jason Duffner at the 2011 PGA, he gave away oh, a five-stroke lead late. Uh, the mo- maybe the most iconic one, John Vandeveld at the 99 Open Championship. Yep. Where he he only needed a double bogey to win, and he hit driver and then uh, a, a shot into the into the burn there. So that was maybe the most iconic, just total collapse of all time. What about Arnold Palmer at Olympic when he had the seven-stroke lead in the 66 mm. U.S. Open? to Billy Casper and uh, ended up losing in a playoff. Side note, Billy Casper passed away two years ago today. Has it been that long? It has been. Yeah, I remember being, oh my being in Las Vegas and, and, and reading that on my phone and just kind of, uh, you know, that heart-sinking feeling when you, when you hear about yeah. that. One of the underrated legends in the game of golf. Absolutely. Um, Agreed with you on that. For, for me, the, the one that most resembles the Falcons collapse, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. Just because the underdog element to it, you know, the, the Falcons were kind of an underdog of the Patriots. Ed Sneed at the 79 Masters made bogey in the last three holes. And he lost in a playoff to Fuzzy Zeller and Tom Watson was also in that playoff. He left his putt to win the Masters. It was maybe five or six feet. He left it centimeters away to win. And, <laughs> and he, he was never in contention for the rest of his career. Never before that, never after that. And that moment is so fleeting, isn't it? You never get that yeah. back. Hopefully the Falcons get another chance. Just you, you feel bad for them, right? Yeah, that just crushes your confidence, I think, regardless of what sport or what you're playing, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, welcome to episode five of the postcast. I'm Sean. I'm here with Cassie. And uh, we're going to begin by talking about a question that's kind of become a little a little hackneyed, Cassie. We've been talking about it for, what, two or three years now. This question of, is Tiger really done? Is he at the end of his career? Can he win again? We, we've gone over this so many times, but after what happened this past week at, in Dubai where he shot 77 and then he had to pull out because of another injury, this time back spasms, you get to wondering, you know, he had sat out for, what, 17 months really in between PGA Tour events and now he comes out, he misses the cut at Torrey has to withdraw because of an injury in Dubai. So now where does that leave us with, with Tiger? I think that's a really good question. And I, and I think the answer is, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't know if anyone actually knows besides Tiger. Tiger, but when you hear it's back spasms and you see him withdraw, everyone obviously just thinks, oh my gosh, is it another surgery? Is it 
is it everything that we thought was going to happen again? You know, and how long is he going to be out this time? I, I hope, I hope he's not done. You know, that's always the question on everyone's mind. Is he, is he done? Is, is he, you know, is he ever going to come back again? No one wants to ever hear those words come out of Tiger's mouth, out of anyone's mouth, really. But it's it's been really sad to see him fall this far and how quickly it's it's really happened, too. I think that's another thing that's on everyone's mind. It's just, I mean, he was number one for how long? You know for, what I mean? For over six weeks. Yeah. Forever. Absolutely. Like, yeah, he was... Uh, he was so dominant and it just looked like he would never fall. And that's the thing Ever. that kind of that kind of gets everybody's attention with this. I mean, he, he just looked so impenetrable, you know? There was just nobody who could really rattle him. And uh, for whatever reason, you know, remember why Yang won won that PGA championship back in 09? And even since then, it just hasn't had the same feeling. You know, right after that loss, he had the whole thing in November with, with the scandal and everything. And ever since then... You know, I know he had that great year in 2013, but it's still been just kind of off since then. He's, he hasn't won a major since then. And uh, the thing for me is that I'm okay with him shooting 77, you know, and, and struggling on the scorecard. As long as he's healthy and he's getting reps, and he's able to play in these tournaments and, you know, give him a little bit of time, be patient with him. The injury and, and how he looked when he shot that 77 scares me the most because he looked old. He just looked yeah. like the oldest 41-year-old. I think Randall Chambly said that. This is the oldest 41-year-old that we've ever seen play golf. He's just frail and it, it it's scary. It, it really is. I mean, I don't want to say he can never win again and just, you know, have a blanket statement like that. But, you know, it kind of looks like that at this point. I, I agree with you. 100%. So, let's move on to our winners of the week. At the Phoenix Open, Hideki Matsuyama defended his title he won the fourth playoff hole against Webb Simpson. What a great round for, for Webb down the stretch. He shot 64 on Sunday, birdied 18, birdied 17 to force that playoff. But Matsuyama, that drive on 18 that he had in regulation, carried 322 with one foot of curve. So I think his, uh, his swing is in pretty nice form right now. Yeah, and he took the hand off the club like it was the most horrific drive ever again. And I was like, oh, must be nice to hit it that far and that straight right down the middle. (laughs) But beside the point. And how good is it to see Webb Simpson back in the mix of things? Fantastic. Love Simpson. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited for him. On the European tour at the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, newly engaged Sergio Garcia went wire to wire to claim victory by three over Henrik Stenson for a 19 under total. That was his 12th European tour title and his 30th win worldwide. With that win, it moved Garcia back into the top 10 of the official world golf rankings into the ninth position. Spaniards love going to Dubai. Um, They've had a few, like five of the past eight winners have been Spaniards, so they play well in Dubai. At the Jones Cup, one of the big amateur events here early in the early in the season. Braden Thornberry, a sophomore at Ole Miss, he had a five-stroke victory. He'll be exempt into the RSM Classic, but maybe even more important for him, looking strong for the Walker Cup. Spider Miller uh, said he was very impressed with uh, with Braden's game, and uh, he won a few tournaments early on uh, this this past fall, and looks like a pretty good young player. And one more note before we bring on Ron Green Jr. to talk about Tiger Cassie. You and I both follow the, the college game quite closely, don't we? And we know the, the name Patrick Cantley quite well, don't we? Oh, yeah. He was the top-ranked amateur in the world for 55 weeks, a stud at UCLA. Um, he had incredible promise. Remember, he shot that 60 at, as an amateur at the Travelers Championship. Well, after over two years away from the PGA Tour, 
Cantley's returning this week at Pebble Beach, and it's quite a remarkable story. And the uh, the OC Register has a great piece of journalism on on Patrick this week, um, detailing his, his arduous and, and painful journey that he, he suffered. He had a fracture in his back, and he had to just pretty much rest for for over a year at one point. And maybe the biggest setback uh, dealing with the pain of watching his caddy and his best friend Chris Roth he pass away by uh, by being hit by a, by a reckless driver. And uh, Chris was only 24 years old at the time, and Patrick has had to deal with a lot in his life, so we wish him the uh, the best in his return to the PGA Tour this week. Yeah, former Ben Hogan Award winner too, yep. so good good luck to him. That's that's incredible comeback. And now we're going to welcome on Ron Green Jr. to talk all things PGA Tour, but especially Tiger Woods and uh, see where he's headed after his WD in Dubai this past week. But Ron, I want to start with question about TPC Scottsdale. Would you be able to hit the green on the par 316th if you were playing in a group during the waste management open? I'm not sure I could hit the green if I were playing by myself at sunrise out there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, sure, you you could just sort of imagine what it would be like to stand in there. I, I uh, Last time I was at the tournament, I just went and stood behind the tee, had some inside the ropes access there, and just stood inside the stadium right there beside where guys were hitting shots and. You know, it's it's a a strange feeling for a golf tournament uh, to be there and sort of surrounded by that. I guess they call it a coliseum, and that's what it feels like. Uh, you've got to be able to tune it out, or just you know the way some guys do it, just wave it on. It's uh, I think it's in some ways like everybody imagines hitting a shot at the uh, Island Green, the seventeenth hole at TPC at the uh, Ponte Vedra down there in Sawgrass. That uh, this is another one people sort of project themselves into it. Um, I don't know that I would be the most confident person hitting that shot, but, uh, I don't know if I'm ever the most confident person hitting shots. <laughs> I've played both and, uh, they're so different from the tournament compared to when you're just playing a normal round. I mean, Scottsdale at 16th hole is just a normal par three with nothing around it on a, on a normal day. But when you put a bunch of people in there, that changes the elements quite, uh, quite drastically. They've done a great job with what they've created out there. I wonder a little bit if it's gotten a little, gone a little too far toward the party thing. I, I enjoy that that they have made it into what they have, and and I think there's room for that on a PGA tour. But I, at some point, how how big do you go? How much more can you do? How much more do you do you need? And you know, there's no secret that. Uh, most of the people aren't there for the golf; they're there for the uh, beverages, and I think sometimes that. Uh, we don't hear a whole lot about it, but I do think that's a, an issue they have to deal with out there. And, uh, you know, I, I would think that it's sort of reached its max now. If I were them, I'd almost scale it back a little bit. But I'm not trying to kill the party, but I just think at some point, even a party can get out of hand. Yeah, they set a record for attendance on Saturday and maybe a once a year thing. But I, I would agree, maybe maybe a good decision to, to dial it back a little bit. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Tiger. Yet another setback for for him with what transpired at, at in Dubai. He uh, looked so old and frail in that opening seventy seven, and then withdrew an hour before the second round. Ron, given all these variables against him at this point, is it still feasible to say that he can he can win again? Well, I think it's all contingent on how healthy he is. Mm-hmm. When I saw him at the Bahamas uh, in December, I mean, he looked so healthy it was ripping at it we've talked about it before that i mean he looked 
healthy and ready to go and was excited and made, made 24 birdies and just I don't want to say golf looked easy, but it didn't look like it looked at Dubai. Uh, at Torrey Pines, didn't quite know what to make of first start in a tournament in 17 months and uh, played much better the second day than he did the first day. And, you know, there, were, there was reason for optimism. I don't know how many of us actually thought he was going to make the cut at Torrey Pines to begin with and uh, just left some shots out there. So you, I thought he'd go to Dubai and maybe build on that. And obviously he did not build on that whatsoever. Yeah. Watching that first day, he didn't look, he insisted he wasn't in pain, but he didn't look like a man who was very comfortable out there. And then uh, when the news broke that he had withdrawn, I'd like to say I was surprised, but I wasn't as surprised as I probably might've been. I just think, you know, it's a, uh, you don't know what to make of it. Uh, obviously he keeps pretty closely guarded his condition, uh, I know they haven't ruled out him playing at Riviera next week, which would be encouraging if if it is just truly a back spasm that hit him at the wrong time and it's just something he's got to deal with from time to time. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, but, I mean, we don't really know. I mean, I just um, – it would be a shame if we don't get to see him one more time fully healthy, have a chance to sort of put the finishing flourish on this career. I mean – if we never see him healthy again, it doesn't change the fact that he's played the best golf that's ever been played. Mm -hmm. He still doesn't have the record Nicholas has quite, but uh, even Jack has said he didn't play golf like Tiger has. So uh, it won't do anything to diminish his his greatness or what he's done, but it will just leave a little bit of an incomplete feeling if we don't get to see him again healthy. Right. I think I, I think that's the main thing is just people want to see him back healthy and back playing again. But is it a fair question to ask if if he might retire sooner rather than later? Is that fair to ask? Do golfers ever really retire? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know no. that they do. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to quit playing golf unless unless a doctor tells him, "Hey, you you just can't do this. You're going to be you know, hurt yourself down the line." I mean, could he end up taking another six eight months trying to get? better than he is now. I mean, I, all things are on the table right now, I think. Uh, I think there will come a point when he will, if he doesn't have the results, if he keeps having problems, doesn't have the results he wants, that he will say, you know what? All right, I've tried. I can't get back to where I want to be. Uh, it's time for me to move on to the next phase. You know, you've seen over the past week or so since this has happened, others talk about where their moment came when they realized. And I think it comes for all top-level athletes, they suddenly realize, I can't do what I used to do, and the effort it takes to get to where I want to be may be worth may not be worth what the payoff is. And and I think that's part of what he's wrestling with. I think he's, again, being around him, he seemed very happy and optimistic and enthusiastic uh, at the Bahamas and then again at Torrey Pines. So uh, we'll just have to see where this takes us. But uh, it's it's worrisome. Just hypothetically, Ron, when the day comes that he does so-called retire or not play on the PGA Tour anymore, what Tiger-controlled factor in his life, you know, the, the weightlifting, um, whatever else that he's done to contribute to his injuries or, or any, any, any of the mental problems he's had, what factor are we going to point to the most and go, that's why he wasn't like Phil or Jim Furyk or another guy who, who went on later in his career? Well, Phil has talked many, many times about how he's been relatively injury free. I mean, he did ski into a tree in the nineties and break his leg and have to uh, that sideline. I mean, he had the little sports or anything, but he's talked about his swing being 
the nature of it being uh, easier on the body. And I do think there's some to it. I think Tiger's had always had a very violent swing. Uh, some guys are that way, and that's the way Tiger has played. <clears throat> I think it did have an impact on his knee. He had the left knee issues through the years, and I think the way he popped that leg didn't help that. And I think uh, you know he tried – he talked at times earlier in his career about trying to make swings that would help his longevity. I think he's understood that – if he's going to play the, if he was going to play the way he did, <clears throat> that it might come with some cost down the road. I, I think. I mean, he's so uh, attentive to his health and his fitness. I mean, we can debate forever. Did he hurt himself more by the working out he did? You know, is there a is there a place where you get where okay, you're physically fit, you're strong, you're flexible, you're limber and able to do all these things? Did he go past that, and did it ultimately have a negative effect? Maybe um, you, you can look at how he looked as a youngster and how he looked as he got older and the difference in his body. It had to affect his swing some. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Rory McIlroy's defended himself against sort of similar, I don't want to call them charges, but you know, people who think he's maybe gotten too involved in the GM and then you see the rib thing. I, I don't know. Uh, as somebody who only uh, – sort of nods at the gym when I go by one. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think I think people will look at Tiger's uh, weightlifting and all that, and, and that will always, there will always be, always be some skepticism about how helpful that ultimately turned out to be. Right. Yeah, no, that make that makes sense. In this week's um, issue of Global Golf Post, John Hopkins wrote about Tiger's career resembling Seve's in many, many ways. But there are no true comparisons to Woods. But is that the closest one that we can think of? Um, that's a good one. Yeah, I think we've always compared him to Nicholas. And, but their careers are so different. I mean, their totals and wins and major championships, all that, are, are very, very similar. But they played such totally different kinds of golf and went about it differently. I mean, Nicholas was always the ultimate family guy, flying home, you know, making a schedule around kids' schedules and flying home on Friday nights to see football games and go back to tournament sites and all those things. Well, Tiger has been more of a uh, a lone wolf type guy at times. I mean, obviously, married and has kids, and uh, it's great to see him talk the way he does about his children now and how much they mean to him and how much he likes being part of their lives. And, And it couldn't come at a better time, I wouldn't think, for him, given all that he's gone through. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think Tiger is just, he's a unique person in sort of the, the, the story of the professional game. I, I don't think he compares to anybody because, uh, you know, I mean, Seve was magical in his own way and had this great, uh, personality, you know, this sort of brooding guy, dark. But uh, relentless and it was great fun to watch because you just never knew what was going to happen. Tiger's a little different. And I just think he he's, has his own storyline. Ron Green Jr., thank you so much for, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Enjoyed it very much. So we're here with, with John Steinbrader, who was down at the Jones Cup this past weekend, where Braden Thornberry, a sophomore at Ole Miss, can win the title. Uh, Steiny, we, we're here. You're uh, you're island hopping right now. Is that true? Absolutely. I'm uh, going uh, up and down the Barrier Islands, and I'm at the uh, southernmost Barrier Island, Amelia Island, in northern Florida right now, and about to head home out of Jacksonville today. But I spent four days up in Sea Island uh, for the Jones Cup, and 
just had a great, uh, great trip, a lot of fun, uh, unbelievable golf. I still can't get over how well these kids play and, and um, some good Walker Cup candidates there and uh, a lot of really, really uh, uh, interesting weather, uh, some good shot making and sunny, calm weather and cold, gray and windy weather. And uh, it, was, it was a good weekend all along. That kind of sounds like my weather up here in Buffalo, as I say, every week. But I'm kind of jealous you're island hopping right now. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm trying to get the most out of it. Just as long as there's a blender, I'm on my way. <laughs> I like that. Um, so like you said, you were at the Jones Cup this past week. Can you introduce our listeners to Braden Thornberry a little bit? He won a few tournaments at Mississippi in the fall, and now he's having a nice little Walker Cup audition, audition here. Can you just tell us a little bit about him and a little bit about his game? Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's very much come out of, you know, I wouldn't say nowhere, but uh, I don't think I, I spent a lot of time this past uh, weekend with Spider Miller, who's the captain of the uh, U.S. Walker Cup team. And, and and prior to this fall, I don't think Spider knew a lot about him. He wasn't invited to be on that practice squad that played out at LACC in December, the 16 guys in that group. Uh, so it's safe to say that uh, he was under the under the radar. And uh, but he has won three out of five college tournaments he played in this past fall, and uh, he, and he just he tore it up at uh, at Sea Island. He's um, he's kind of a you know blondish husky kid. He's about you know a little over six feet tall. He's uh, plays very very quickly. Carries his own bag. He's got this interesting uh, habit of taking his hat off every time he's about to hit a shot. It's kind of a um, uh, an interesting routine. Um, he swings, um, almost as fast as I do. He's got a lot of, uh, a lot of energy in his swing. And, uh, he, he you know, spider said to me, he did everything. He hit his, he's a great ball striker. He hit his irons well, his woods well. He, uh, a lot of time guys were using irons or uh, hybrids to lay up in holes and he just pulled out his driver, just ripped it. And they putted very well. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. He's a very affable kid. And, uh, you know, the first day was sunny and calm. He shot 67. The second day, which is low round of the tournament, second day, it's blowing like crazy. It's uh, 55, 50 degrees. It's cloudy. I mean, it's tough conditions. He shoots 72, uh, which tied for the um, lowest score that day. So, you know, you got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, the guy played no matter what the conditions were, uh, sunny, uh, warm, anything else. Uh, he played really, really well. And then on um, on Sunday, he shot a 73, one over par. He started the day with a six-stroke lead. And um, he said it was a little hard at times to do it because, you know, you didn't know how um, aggressive to be or how conservative to be. Uh, and at one point, he had an eight-shot lead during the day. But so he managed to do that pretty well. So you kind of saw him in three different iterations, three different ways and conditions under which he had to play. And he succeeded and excelled in all three of them. John, when talking to Spider, how much do you think he takes into account play heading into the Walker Cup, you know, in the summer, as opposed to play earlier in the year, even in these important events? Um, is it is it more important to play well in the summer, or is it just a body of work that he's going to look at? I think it's a body of work. I mean, basically, what he said to me, he says, listen, you know, the, the practice squad was chosen based on where everybody was at that point in time, which was in December. And then the Walker Cup team will be chosen right after the USAM in August, based where things are at that point in time. Um, so I think uh, Thornberry definitely played himself into, you know, into the picture. As Spider said, you know, you win the Jones Cup, you you pop up on my screen, and he's definitely front of mind right now, and has definitely got to be considered a very 
strong possibility for this team, given his play in the fall and given his play now. But, you know, I think it's consistency. I think you got to keep playing well. It's not going to be based on, you know, if you win a couple of tournaments now, but sort of go into a funk, I don't think you're going to do as well as somebody who, um, you know, wins a bunch of tournaments in, uh, in June or July or something like that, you know? Right. No, th- like like you said, there's so many more tournaments to be played the rest of the year. The Jones Cup just happened. College golf really starts to ramp up. But to, uh, set the stage for us a little bit about the amateur events that are coming up over the next few months and what can we expect from those events? Well, what's sort of interesting right now is from a mid-amateur um, basis or standpoint, there's not a lot right now. It's pretty quiet until um, – you know, you get after the uh, after the Masters, quite frankly. And I know that was an interesting problem for Stuart Hagstad, who's a mid-am champion, who was there at, at the Jones Cup, who was actually uh, today and yesterday has been down at Augusta playing practice rounds as the mid-am champions received an invitation to play the Masters. But he's a little bit flummoxed in uh, February and March and getting ready competitively for the, uh, for the Masters because there's not a lot of competitive stuff going on for a mid-amateur. Now, for the college kids, though, as you know, you guys both being barely out of college and uh, knowing that world much better than I do, they're playing a lot of golf right now. So um, there are going to be a lot of competitions. I mean, I was talking to several of them. They've got their season coming up. They're all going to be playing a great deal. So until you start to get into the Coleman's and the events like that later on, you're going to have a lot of college tournaments. You can just sort of dominate the uh, amateur scene for the next two or three months because these kids are in school. They're playing a lot of tournaments. And the uh, sort of national amateur season, as it were, hasn't really started up yet. It won't start up yet until kind of May, when you think about it. John, before we let you go, you had a brilliant article on Drew Love, the son of Davis Love III. Can you just share with us a little bit about uh, about him? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great young man. He's you know he's twenty three years old. He's six foot five. He's um, you know he's a, he's a big kid. He's a, a strong kid. He's a very uh, affable kid. He says, yes, sir. He says, no, sir. He's got great manners, and, and he's a very good golfer. You know, he struggled a lot like his father has, although Drew is much too young to be going through this, but Drew's been struggling a lot with injuries. And, you know, his first uh, he registered his first year at Alabama. The next two years at Alabama, he didn't play that much because he was injured all the time. So, um, And now he's recovering from a torn labrum in the shoulder, so he's just getting back into his groove. If he can play more, he's certainly got game. I mean, he won the Puerto Rico Classic when he was in college. He won the Georgia State Amateur Championship. Uh, he played in a, in the RSM Classic at Sea Island, the PGA Tour event. He and his dad both shot 70 the first day, and then Drew missed a cut by shooting 78. But he's he's got game. He's going to give uh, – he's going to turn pro after college. He's going to give it a shot. And it just remains to be seen because his, his canvas – um, his record is, is pretty sparse right now because he just hasn't been healthy for that long to play in a bunch of events. But he's a damn good athlete. He's got obviously great lineage with his dad, and of course, and um, he's a nice young man. And uh, it remains to be seen how he'll do because, as you know, it's so competitive out there. It's so tough. But uh, he's got a lot of talent, and, and he's got a good shot of you know getting on the web dot uh, com tour perhaps and, and giving it a go. But it's it's going to be hard to do because uh, he's got to be healthy, and he's played I think you know five rounds since last August when he had his uh, shoulder surgery. So he's going to really need to step it up this uh, spring and get in a lot of good games and, and play well. 
His dad is tall, but I didn't know that Drew was even a couple inches taller than his dad. His dad is tall, and actually his dad was down there uh, following Drew around. And, uh, you know, his dad, is, as you know, has a uh, uh, shattered his collarbone and had a snow, uh, snowboarding accident. My comment to Davis was, is uh, really somebody your age snowboarding? Um, but uh, he's, uh, he's recovered. He hopes to be uh, ready to go in time for Bay Hill. Uh, he really wants to be there the first Bay Hill with Arnie not being around. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Davis is uh, 6'3", and, and he's a little more slender. Drew's got his father's kind of uh, slender legs, but uh, up top, Drew's a strong, almost football player like Bill, and, and it's a big hit. And red hair, which is interesting. He says everybody tells him he looks like his mom's brother. And his sister, Lexi, who's three years older, has got red hair as well. Um, but he, he's a big kid. He played basketball in high school, and um, it's good, good athlete all around. John, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Great being with you guys. Uh, stay warm up there, Cassie. And I'll uh, do my best, Steiny. Hope to see you all soon. Take care. Cassie, let's get right into our schedule for this week. Yeah, quick run through. Here we go. On the PGA Tour, we have the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am at Pebble Beach in California. The field includes Phil Mickelson, Jason Day, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Justin Rose, all in the field this week, just to name a few. Um, Then you got the celebrities, newly crowned Super Bowl champion coach Bill Belichick, um, last year Super Bowl quarterback Peyton Manning, got Aaron Rodgers, Justin Timberlake, Wayne Gretzky, all the celebrities, really, really cool all across the board, too. You got Jay Goen, too, country music singer. Should be a fun week, and that's always fun to watch. Bill Murray is always my favorite because of his outfits. Oh, my you goodness. You watch he's, just for the outfits. He's too funny. <laughs> the European Tour is in Malaysia this week at the Maybank uh, Championship. They always get a pretty uh, decent field there, but they're going to go over to, uh, to that side of the world for a while. They'll be over in Asia for the next couple of weeks. Uh, the web.com tour is back this week with the Club Columbia Championship at Bogata Country Club. The tournament starts on Thursday, unlike the first two tournaments of the year in the Bahamas when they started on Sunday and finished on Wednesday. Um, according to the power rankings this week, Andrew Putnam is a player that could possibly win, as well as Canadian Corey Connors, who is a big hitter and can always put up the low numbers. I have a friend who's caddying down there this week on the web.com tour. It's beautiful in Columbia. The ball travels like uh, like nothing out there. And uh, it's a gorgeous place. I didn't know how beautiful it was. On the that would be, that would be pretty fun. Yeah, uh, that would that wouldn't be too bad to go no. and visit. Um, Not a horrible job. <laughs> on the PGA uh, Tour Championship uh, champions, it's uh, down in my neck of the woods this week at a Broken Sound Golf Club in Boca. Always a nice field for that that fifty four hole event. Esteban Toledo will be defending. Very nice. So let's go into Bingo Bango Bongo now. I have to give you a lot of credit about last week. I, I, Sean. I was waiting for this moment. I was waiting for yeah. this moment. Justin Thomas did miss the cut. You were laughing at me last week. I was laughing pretty hard too. And then you asked for seven points if this actually No, was I'm not going to give correct. You, yeah, that, that was a little steep. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take one. <laughs> Just one. That's yeah, fine. <laughs> one's, one's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last week I had Bubba Watson, who we both had to win, and Missed the cut. Yeah. And then I picked Ali Schneiderjans as my sleeper, who finished T24, which That's was pretty good, good for him. Yeah. And then I also picked Zach Johnson to surprisingly miss the cut. And, of course, he finished T12. Yeah, he actually played pretty well. I yeah, had Harris he did. English as my sleeper. He was T57. He played well in the first round, but kind of backed, backed down after that. 
But uh, yeah, Bubba Watson missing the cut. I, I'm now 0 for 4, I believe, on players to win uh, missing the cut in that event. So, yeah. not great. But Justin Thomas miss, missing the cut. I mean, that that was my highlight of the week. So, I'm okay with it. He missed the cup, but it seemed like he had a good weekend in Phoenix with him and Smiley Kaufman just, um, you know, going on hikes and doing whatever they do on their miscut weekends. <laughs> no kayaks. You can't go in the can't go in the Pacific like they did. Oh, not there. <laughs> okay, this week's pick, I'm going to go with, uh, with Phil to win at Pebble. He's won four times. He's been in the top 21 in his first three starts on the PGA Tour this year. I'm going to uh, take Phil to win at Pebble. Uh, good choice. Good choice. He was the runner-up last year, too, I believe. He was. Um, I'm going to go with Patrick Reed. He was T6 last year. He didn't play too well last week, but he's due for another win. So, I'm ready for the, that top five player in the world to come back and put up another victory. My sleeper this week is J.J. Spawn. He's been in the uh, top 10 the past two weeks, top five last week in Phoenix. Perhaps a rookie of the year candidate early on. Uh, he's at San Diego State. Good young player. I like him to uh, continue his fine form over on the West Cor- Coast. Very nice. Um, I'm going to go with Sean O'Hare as my Ooh, sleeper. I like it. Yeah. You never really hear his name until this event comes around because he's originally from Northern California. But he's very consistent at this event. And he like I feel like he likes coming back home. Um, now that I've said all this, he will probably miss the cut. So, awesome. No, no. Have more faith in that, Cassie. <laughs> Come on, Sean O'Hare. I got I picked you this week. Come on. I'm going to take Jimmy Walker to surprisingly miss the cut. If for nothing else, he's missed his last two cuts, maybe struggling a little bit. I know he won here in 2014. He likes Pebble, but I'm just going to take a flyer here and say that he is going to miss the cut this week. Okay. I'm going to go with Steve Stricker, the semi-retired Steve Stricker. His second event of the season, he played last week and he finished T40, um, T42. But I don't think Pebble Beach sets up well for his game. He played last year for the first time in a few years, but... And he missed the cut. So, I'm going to assume it's not his week to win. That's a know. nice life to be able to be semi-retired and just kind of play whenever you want. And his wedge game, though, is maybe the best you anyone's oh. ever seen. I agree with you 100%. So, uh, well, that's all the time we have left today. Please visit globalgolfpost.com for all golf news. And shoot us an email if you want us to talk about a certain topic. You can do that at postcastgolf at gmail.com. We'd actually really love to hear from you guys and see what kind of various topics you guys want us to talk about. So please do that. Um, So until then, for Sean Fairholm and I, hit him straight and have a good week. See you next week.